times of our industry are changing rapidly, and fiction podcasting is being picked up by high-budget corporate entities. And that means it's time to organize. The Writers Guild of America has their eyes on fostering collective bargaining among scripted podcast writers, fiction and nonfiction alike, under the banner of the Audio Alliance. Here on RDR, we interview the executive director of the WGA East, Lowell Peterson, and two organizers, Matt Klinman and Lisette Alvarez, about their goals, their strategies, and what we can expect from them. Come and learn about the WGA Audio Alliance's efforts and how you can join in, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins. For the past few weeks, I've been involved in organizing with and supporting the Writers Guild of America Audio Alliance. The WGA is the joint effort of two different labor unions, the WGA East and the WGA West, headquartered in New York City and Los Angeles, respectively. These are unions for writers from all different spheres of media, TV, film, broadcasting, news, and new digital media, to protect them from abuse and exploitation, as well as securing them rights, health insurance, and credit for their work. The WGA Audio Alliance is what's called a working group, a domain-specific initiative with specific goals to achieve. In the case of a union, those may be things like set standards for an industry and gather community input. With enormous giants like Marvel and Spotify creating fiction podcasts and hiring indie creators to do so, having someone like the WGA on the writer's side is supremely important. We've already seen the successful recognition of new podcast unions like Parcast and Gimlet, with the WGA East's help. Their stated goals from the outset are not only to provide support and bargaining power for writers who are hired by high-budget projects, but to provide resources for independent writers and to engage and uplift writers of marginalized and underrepresented identities in particular. We'll talk about how they plan to engage with that front in the interview. We also discuss the founding of the group, the importance of unions for digital media creators, what this means for low- to no-budget writers and producers, and an aside on surveillance capitalism. Really, this interview's got it all. Thank you all so much for coming on to a Radio Drama Revival to talk about the WGA Audio Alliance. Uh, we're really excited to have you all here. Very excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for inviting us. Awesome. Awesome. So let's let's get some introductions going for our audience. Lisette, we've had you on the show before for Kalila Stormfire's Economical Magic Services. We are so happy to have you back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. This is a great show and with great people. So um, anytime. Anytime, Ellie. Aw, thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to handle compliments. Uh, <laughs> so Kalila has, has since, since we've had you on, Kalila has since started uh, releasing its third and final season. So mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on your process in podcasting now as compared to midway through your first season's release? Oh, wow. It really does feel like it's been 10 years <laughs> in audio drama, I guess in audio drama time slash pandemic time. Um, uh, so I feel like 
the process of creating an audio drama has changed not just through like seeing how my peers and the upcoming up, up and incoming audio drama folks have come in, but also because the the way that I've created my audio drama has changed radically just from being able to kind of learn the process, learn new tricks and tools, and also like having more people on my team. So I, of course, I, I do write alone, but um, the final season was the first season that I brought on as script editor. So having more people on a team, not just new voices and new actors, but a whole suite of, of, of people like engaged in the process has really given me um, a lot more to think about in terms of how I structure my audio drama and how I structure uh, the the community that I've built essentially around creating. And, and that does, of course, also include listeners. It includes, you know, the, the people that have contributed via Scene Spark and Patreon. Um, all of that has kind of really given me a, a a deeper understanding of what it means to create audio drama right now, especially as it as it gains more and more momentum within like the creative sphere, uh, spheres and as its own medium. Yeah, absolutely. We talk a lot about on RDR about the progress that podcasting has and especially like fishing podcasting of course has had in very recent years. It's absolutely exploded. So I'm glad to hear that it's been really helpful for you to bring on more people to your team. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt, you're an experienced writer in digital comedy, right? You've worked at Funny or Die, The Onion, Adult Swim, and you have a slew of writing credits across various web series. You also recently co-created the scripted comedy fiction podcast that's available on Luminary, Smarter. So tell us about that experience and what was different for you about writing for audio comedy than your visual media-based writing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, prior to, I'd done a little bit of, uh, audio, uh, scripted audio at funnier die actually in like 2015, we launched a little scripted audio project. Um, that was me and, uh, uh, John Harris, both of us had been former writers for the onion and we wanted to make kind of like a satirical, uh, like science, like kind of invisibilia, fake invisibilia kind of podcast. And there wasn't that much scripted audio going around. We thought it would be a cool thing to do. Uh, and we started doing that and they were short little episodes. And I personally just like really fell in love with being able to do it. Um, I edited the episodes, produced the episodes. We wrote them, you know, got just people around to perform and it just felt really good to be more in control of the whole process. I love doing video. I love working in like digital, you know, video or television and things like that. But, and I love the large collaborative aspect of all that, but it felt really cool to like make a tighter team, like a smaller, and just to be able to have more kind of creative control easier, just eliminating the element of video, you know, that's a huge aspect of it. And so being able to like shrink that down, I, I guess it's, it's an interesting, it's like shrinking down the amount of moving parts, but also expanding the ambition that you can have. Cause you can like describe things and you can, you can do more things. And so I'd worked on, uh, another, uh, scripted audio project, um, for, for audible, uh, called 64th man. And then when some producers from team Coco approached me and some other former onion collaborators about pitching a show, uh, cause they had this deal with luminary, um, 
um, we had been, uh, we'd had an idea sort of from our adult swim days of these kind of, we'd been doing these kind of like fake tech world things. We did this adult swim special called for profit online university, another one called smart pipe. And we wanted to, we'd always wanted to try to make a series out of that. And basically the idea kind of came up of like, well, that would be, that's a perfect thing to do for radio since there's all these, like how I built this and shows like that. So I, as you're kind of gaining, (laughs) getting a sense of, I do comedy, but a lot of what I do are these like satires of like very like exact, like precise parody satires of like fake versions of things. So we wanted, basically we thought it would be really cool to kind of take that framework of a, how I built this and run it through our like satire and, and, and our viewpoint. And that's what smarter sort of was. And so luminary and team Coco working with them, we, we made this whole 10 episode series that was basically like if Elon Musk was kind of like hosting like an Elon, how I built this. And, uh, but then at the same time, his life is going off the rails. Uh, and it was great. It was a really incredible process. Same sort of feeling of like, you know, it's really a writer's medium, which is great. Like everything we envisioned, we got to do. And we had, you know, uh, it was just us and our, and our, and our audio producer, sound editor, you know, making the thing. And then when we were recording it, we got to record it how we wanted to, which was like not so much in the booth, but like out in the world to really make it feel real, which is so important to us. It was just like a great creative process. And I sort of have really fallen in love with making scripted audio projects. So, Lowell, you're the executive director of the Writers Guild of America East, and you have been since 2008 after the Guild strike. And prior to that, you practiced as a labor lawyer. How did you come into union work and labor law? Well, I've always had a passion for social justice. Um, It's informed me since I was a teenager. I did activism in various contexts, community organizing, affordable housing stuff. Uh, in college, it was a lot of anti-apartheid work. And uh, then uh, I was actually an elected official in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And the people who were able to construct the best, most persuasive arguments were lawyers. So I said, eh, I'll give that a shot. Um, and But I wanted to be a movement person. And so I've been representing unions for a long time. Um, in college, I wanted to be a filmmaker, which I'm really embarrassed to admit <laughs> meant I wanted to be a director because... That's what people thought. That's who made movies. Uh, I now realize that writers are the only important craft. But um, yeah, you're treading a fine line. Here. Yeah. You're offending all of your constituents. Yeah. So uh, especially the lawyers who are listening. Um, but uh, but this 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 gig gave me the opportunity to really you know um, converge on all of the the passions I have. You know, I came to the Writers Guild at a time when the industries where our members work were in complete transformation. You mentioned the strike. It was really the first sort of digital strike. It wasn't a strike that took place in the digital realm, but it was about this whole new way of creating and distributing content that uh, really didn't have any rules, didn't have any, any signposts, didn't have any basic pay terms. People didn't know how to build careers in it. So it's been exciting to start this job a while ago now in that context. And we're finding this transformation is affecting all of our industries. Uh, TV is now streaming. Uh, Netflix is making movies, feature films, and now podcasting, which is, um, I wouldn't, I, certainly as, as the title of this this show indicates it's not a new idea, but the, the technological advances make it a lot more viable. The, the there's a huge and growing audience. People are really, really into it. And uh, it's exciting for us as a as a union to be here at the ground floor. 
Absolutely. And we are very happy to have you here. <laughs> so this this is a question for all three of you, but I would like to start with Lisette. Um, so how has the pandemic and the justice uprising across the United States and the planet affected your work? So one of the big things I would say is that it really affected my sensitivity towards my my own kind of needs, uh, my ability to write, and my ability to uh, coordinate with my actors, my sound designer, and actually in terms of timeline, because even though my my production was entirely digital already, entirely remote, um, the stress on essentially myself and everyone else, um, and including people who were already dedicated towards other projects and things like that, it really had uh, an effect on our ability to really manage expectations of, you know, when we can meet. Um, A lot of people were having Zoom fatigue, including myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Table readings um, really needed to be spread out a little bit more. Um, I delayed my... um, I delayed my my uh, the release of the of the first episode of the season, largely because um, uh, I just knew that there needed to be more time um, built in uh, just for everyone's sanity and and to also because the first thing that I always want from from creating something is that it's enjoyable. It's something that people can enjoy doing. That it doesn't feel like an additional responsibility or time suck because the gods know we need we <laughs> we need something joyful um uh, and the other aspect of this is the the material of season 3 of my show um unfortunately and strangely touches upon a lot of uh sensitive issues and actually with the justice movements um very explicitly deals with community conflict and restorative justice and community shadows and um i had to deal with that on top of like you know the stress of of managing actually production also being v- just thinking very critically at myself of how i introduce my my actors to material that is very sensitive um, and could be potentially triggering to them. Uh, I explicitly, um, once once the protests really took off, the Black Lives Matter protests really took off in May and June, I explicitly told my Black actors that they can take as much time as they need. Like, again, I, 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 del- I kept delaying things just because I knew the, 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 the stress and pressure. I didn't want my show to be a part of that. I wanted it to be um, something cathartic, something creative, something joyful. Um, and I'm still trying to manage mm-hmm. that because we're still in table readings because I've delayed <laughs> <laughs> so many things. <laughs> but that's that's been the biggest kind of impact during the pandemic and the justice movements um, worldwide. Uh, and it's also made me reflect because I work also full time as a digital strategist for a human rights organization um, that deals with Latin America um, and the U.S. Uh, it has also given me reflection on my own material, especially as I went into editing. It became much more present. A lot of the the materials I had written in and the themes that I written in, um, I just it helped me solidify some things, which 
I think that's also part of who I am as a writer is that I really want to take in the mm -hmm. moment um, because I think it's really important to be able to use stories for people to to kind of latch on and process out some of the, the emotions um, that they're feeling right now, including myself. So yeah. thank you so much for sharing that with us, Lisette. Uh, Matt, how about you and your work with um, digital comedy? Yeah, um, well, that was such a, a great answer. And I feel like encompasses a lot of what I think a lot of people are feeling right now. I think to me, like a lot of this is making myself, but I think beneficially, like everybody involved in creative processes is a lot more thoughtful. And I think like what we, you know, what we're doing necessarily is communicating ideas and communicating things to people. And I think a lot of, especially in media and in fiction and the things that we create, I think, uh, I don't know, it, a lot of the times people are a little bit thoughtless about like what it means to cast somebody, what it means to like say, you know, certain things, what it means, what you are, all the things that you're communicating when you make something. And I think that this has really opened people up to being more self-critical and more thoughtful about like a lot of different things. I haven't been in production. I've been in, I've been writing. Um, I very thankfully had uh, sold with uh, a writing partner, Danny Abramson, an, an audible show right at the beginning of all this. So this has been writing. Um, our project has been our like <laughs> quarantine project, which has been, I've been very grateful for during this time. We've just been like at home on like long, long <laughs> Zoom meetings, like talking uh, about this show. Actually, we got rid of Zoom early on. We just do phone calls. Oh, it's God, much yes. easier because then you can like, zone out and look at like plants and things like that or whatever. Look at like your trinkets and, and stuff like that. Yes. And I do recommend Same. phone calls to people. <laughs> That's like, which is a dumb thing to have to do. But um, but I'm looking forward to going into production, uh, which hopefully we'll be doing. Um, and uh, when we do, I'm looking forward to, I think a lot of the conversations, particularly around casting and around, I think also for us, like research and history and a lot of the sort of due diligence, the things that I think writers, or at least for myself, that you always like want to have but like nobody will ever give you the time or resources to actually do it. I think something like this has given everybody, you know, basically like, no, we need to pause. And this is a part of what we do now, too, is like, think about inclusivity, think about social justice, think about the themes that we're doing, but also just think about what we're communicating. So for me, I think that's been a big thing coming out of this. And then the other, I think, big ask thing about the, as you, you know, the social justice conversations that are going on, I think has really informed the, the Writers Guild uh, Audio Alliance and the things that we're talking, uh, going to be talking about more on this podcast, Excellent. which I'm excited to get into. Well, how about you? Well, you know, a, a union is a is a is about people. It's 100 percent about people. It's about engaging members and potential members in in actions, collective bargaining, political stuff, social events, just so people build personal and professional networks, uh, doing um panel discussions and roundtables, but we, it's always been my assumption that you can only do that effectively when you're, you're in the same room with people and things like Zoom are everybody's favorite, uh, or even telephones are, uh, you know, second best to being, being there. And I, I still actually think that's true, but it's been remarkable how much people are, are eager to continue to connect and to continue to do union stuff, even in very difficult times. I mean, to the point about the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and other stuff like what's happening in D.C., I think there's a, if anything, more passion for engaging in this kind of work than there was seven, eight months ago. It's more difficult. It's more people are freaked out in a, at a fundamental level. Uh, but 
from from the union's perspective, it's been a very inspiring period because despite all that, people are very much uh, coming together and doing stuff together. I mean, you know, writers in terms of the professional work can work remotely. They can work at home. Uh, so our members have, in the most part, uh, kept working. You know, production shut down 100% until late, late September, early October, except podcast production, mm-hmm. which can be done remotely, <laughs> but TV and movie production. Um, thankfully, writers have, have still been working, and we're, we're, um, we're grateful for that we're, on the behalf of our members. Um, we're, we're eager to have things resume. But I would say, despite the, the really traumatic aspects of the pandemic, the fear, the, the illness, the, the horrible police murders and so forth that have uh, come to the fore, it's been an inspiring time to be part of, a, of an organization that, that really gives people a way to express themselves and to get active on all of those issues, their own personal work issues, their concerns about what's happening in the broader society, all of it sort of comes together through us. So it's been it's actually been in that sense, stressful and inspiring at the same time. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that, all three of you. Um, So the WGAE has been incredibly busy lately and successful in ratifying contracts for new unions for journalism and nonfiction in new digital media, um, which is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's Let's let's set something for everyone. What is the benefit of a unionized writing workforce in this medium? And how can or will someone who is audience only see those benefits reflected in the media they consume? There are many things that flow from being union represented. There are very concrete things that are very important, you know, depending on the economics of the particular project. And we know there's a very wide range of economics in in the podcast world from uh, do it yourself to high budget funded by the the major distribution and production companies and everything in between. But depending on the economics, we can protect your your ownership interests. We can protect your ability to stay involved in projects. We can help negotiate better terms. We can, I guess, most importantly, uh, get contributions made to health benefits and pension benefits. Uh, and we can give you a voice uh, in in all of these terms. And also, I think what we offer is a community where people who are doing this kind of work can come together and talk about, hey, how'd you do on that project? What have you heard about that company? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about even creative issues? We have lots of opportunities for people to get together and just talk about the creative issues and challenges and and come up with solutions and, and also feel like they're part of something bigger, um, both in terms of building their own power and also just in terms of having fun with the craft. One thing that unites all Writers Guild members is a passion for the craft. Excellent. Lisette, Matt? Yeah, um, I guess I could talk a little bit about how this kind of I th- sort of started a little bit, which has been very cool, at least from my perspective, to get a little ball rolling and then have it turn into things that are are, are happening. So a lot of this started because I w- had a conversation with Bo Williman, uh, who's the, our elected president of the WGA East, about scripted uh, scripted audio, scripted podcasting, basically asking if there was anything kind of going on, if there were things, this was maybe a year ago or so. Uh, and 
And basically, I had just come off of making Smarter and was working on another scripted audio project for Spotify. And as a Writers Guild member, I was noticing that the amount of work I was doing was equivalent to like television projects that I'd been doing. Uh, and the, the rates were not quite that to that level, but they weren't, you know, it was it, they weren't way it wasn't doing something independently. And these were for big companies, Spotify and for Audible and Luminary. And and so but I wasn't able to get health insurance. I wasn't able to get, you know, pension contributions. And also, I honest, to be honest, me and my friends weren't even sure if we were like scabbing kind of by like doing these jobs. Like it was just in this like unclear space for us. Uh, and also we had noticed that a lot of these projects, uh, actors had to be SAG to be a part of them, but there was no stipulations for WGA or anything, no protections uh, for writing. Uh, and some of that, you know, made sense. It was a new industry. People were still figuring this out for some of these projects. I was like a co-creator and EP. So maybe I had some responsibility or whatever for it and ownership. So maybe those rights weren't as, you know, I, I, whatever it is, it, it hadn't gotten to that point yet. Uh, and so I started talking to, to Bo Willman about it. And then he started talking to other people. And basically we kind of, I think a lot of other people have been realizing that there's a lot of bigger companies moving into this space and that it should be a conversation that should be had among Writers Guild members, but also kind of putting feelers out to like the broader scripted audio community to see if it made sense to start covering these projects. This is also around the time when the WGA East released a podcast about scripted audio and had a, a bunch of interviews with some people who'd been making projects. Sort of anyway, there's just been a lot of chatter around this. And it kind of, yeah, led to these discussions where basically it for me, it came down to the fact that like I kind of would have made my year uh, as far as like con- the contributions that you need to make in or the amount of money you need to make in order to qualify for health insurance and for pension that the WGA East, I would have made my year had these been covered. And but because they weren't, I didn't. And so, you know, no health coverage and no pension contributions through my union. So I, I to me, you know, there's a little bit of like a self-serving aspect of like, well, I, you know, those are protections and things I want. But also looking around, these are things that all these other writers I'm working with also deserve. Uh, and so that's what kind of got the ball rolling, talking with the WGE, starting to talk to other writers in the space, reaching out to our networks, other networks, people who knew other people. And then we released a survey. To, basically, so that's when the organization effort kind of began. And from there, I think so far, the, the biggest thing to me that's been happening is just pulling together people who are in this space who I otherwise would not have gotten to work with, Lisette, among them. Like, I, we are not in the same, I'm in, the, you know, the comedy scene is kind of a scene. And honestly, like the audio drama, independent audio drama scene is kind of its own creative scene. And I feel sometimes like a little bit like we're moving into t- t- a territory that there is this already scene in and everyone's been very welcoming, which is nice. But also what it's made us, I think, all realize is like, oh, there's a lot of people in this space who are probably being exploited and who have no idea that like in the power and numbers that we could all have, we could maybe sort of start figuring out what there is in this whole community that we could all do for each other. Yeah. And to follow kind of like up on that, um, you know, as someone who's who started in on this, not just uh, doing audio drama, but inspired by indie audio drama. And now myself as an indie indie audio drama creator. uh, And as someone who doesn't do this full time, I have another full time job. And I've always been interested in community building. What does it mean to have institutions, structures, networks that are specific, explicitly for the benefit of protecting artists and in in some ways also legitimizing the art. And I think 
part of this in terms of optics is the WDA provides a sense of legitimacy to the medium. And I think that's something that's really important, actually, for for indie audio audio drama producers and and writers, is that this is a medium that matters. It is a medium that, uh, again, like these bigger these bigger companies are interested in. Use either using as a seeding platform for stories, or uh, you know, or adopting the stories that have already been created, or trying to create uh, stories of their own. And it's really interesting to me to see uh, the conversations in the in the audio drama community uh, around um, things like how Marvel sourced mm-hmm. indie audio drama creators to create their was it Marvels with Paul Bay, Lauren Shippen. And um, uh, Misha Stan, um, like that, that also, all of that is really important to consider for, I think, within the indie audio drama co- community is this kind of le- legitimizing the fact that there's talent here um, and that there are good stories here. And I think by allowing and I think of this actually in terms of uh, when I was in college, I initially wanted to be an actor. So I was looking at SAG. I was looking at, you know, what 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 it would take to be able to 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 get to get into the union. Um, uh, but that process, I think, at least for me, is is um, separate from what does it mean to actually create a community? And I think this this effort um, uh, to create not just, uh, you know, the the process by which um, we make sure that these companies um, and these writers are are working in a way that actually is uh, has equity, but also creates a community and creates res- opens up resources uh, for for people who are just coming into the community. And I think at the end of the day, from the audience facing perspective, it is going to create um, I think more variety. Because uh, of of essentially the type of audio drama creator, because now in some ways um, audio drama creators didn't really have you know a way to 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 monetize their work outside of crowdfunding. Now, as more and bigger companies might try to to bring their funds forward, we need to have an understanding of well, what are the types of audio drama creators that are out there? And I absolutely agree like, that the that what Matt said is um, uh, we need to kind of expand the base of the community. Uh, and I think that indie audio drama creators can learn a lot, and I've learned a lot from listening to. TV creators and how they like set up their work. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of Skillshare that is necessary for 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 indie produ- indie creators writ large. Um, and I think because there's a lot of indie creators that I know that don't that have very uh, you know unusual background, like they might not have a college degree, they might not have uh, they might not have never uh, taken a writing course in their life. To know that the WGA might be there and be able to offer some of that additional support, I think is going to kind of reflect the quality and the breadth of accessibility for for audio drama. Great. Let's draw out a couple of things from from these excellent answers. So what specific situations would audio writers without representation or guild support have to deal with that the Audio Alliance is hoping to address? 
So the most basic thing, uh, I think, is if you have created a show or uh, a common scenario, I think, that we're finding is that people who have created a show or created a show that got the interest of, say, Audible or Spotify or one of these other uh, or, um, you know, there's like mm -hmm. Radiotopia or, you know, there's there's first of all, there's like a whole weird gradient <laughs> of different types of production companies yeah. and entities that are funding and where this interest is going into. I won't get into that right now. But if any if some entity. <laughs> some being, something Sorry, uh, approaches uh, uh, a writer, an audio drama writer of some kind, beams themselves down. Uh, a lot of, I think, a lot of what people the immediate next thing is, hey, I like what you're you're doing. Would you do something like that for us? And we'll pay you. We'll we'll, we'll come up with this arrangement, or we'll do this with your intellectual property, whatever it is. That writer, up until now, I think, has had no idea what to do. I think then you just just like an, any encounter with an entity. <laughs> The human being leaves confused, baffled, not totally sure what they did, unsure if anyone will believe them about what just happened, and certainly needs another person who has gone through that experience to communicate with, even if for their own sanity. So I think that the WGA Audio Alliance, I think we're hoping to be that, a little beacon where, okay, here are some other folks who are going through that, uh, and other people who have that knowledge or Skillshare or, or you know those kinds of things you can go to, and you know, for example, example, just send your contract to or just like talk to about what the terms are of a standard one of these deals, what it means to turn to 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 license your IP or to sell your IP or to generate new IP with one of these entities, whatever those sort of all those conversations, I think we want to be there as a resource for the people who are having them with. And this is also a resource if you are being contacted by <laughs> by Audible or or some large company like that or if this is i think we also want to get into the place where like we are a, a repository for resources if you do want to continue to be independent but do want to get into things like ad supported uh you know get, get into being supported by sponsorships or ads or something else or join up with other people i think for us we want to be able to be there as a resource for uh, audio uh audio writers of all kinds for all kinds of different kinds of projects yeah i think that i plus one to all that i think that you know, we as a union are are here to make sure that you are properly valued. That you are remember it's it's just this is a thing that is sometimes difficult for anyone who creates for a living. And I certainly know it's true with a lot of writers. There is a sense that you know this is something I just care a lot about. I have all these stories I want to tell, but uh, it's not really worth that much. Yes, it is. There's a reason that there are economic players who are so gigantic that they come down from the third dimension or the fifth dimension, you know, and, that, and that's, and that's because the, the, dimension. The, 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 the work you do is valuable. It creates audiences. They can sell ads against it. They can get more subscribers. You know, what you do is valuable. And what, one of the things we think is really important, we as a union think is important is to make sure you share in that value, you know, so you can make a living at it. Now, uh, granted, we, we have plenty of members who do uh, indie work, you know, on on the webisode front or fe independent feature films and or write plays or write books and they just um, go to do TV shows or whatever to pay the rent. Um, I would certainly think that there is space for people who are indie podcast creators to also do them for hire for some of these big entities. There's a thousand ways to make a living, but our role is to make sure you can make a living if that's what you want to do. Because again, back to 
prime principle. What you do is valuable. Telling stories, crafting characters, creating narrative arcs is something that people really think is cool and they love to listen to. And without you writing it, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we, we can sign your project and we can negotiate the best deal possible. And sometimes it'll be a great deal. It will always have pension and health contributions. Um, and it will have protections if, if there's derivative works made from your initial series. There are separated rights we negotiate. There's credit protections we do. So that's, those are very concrete things. I don't want to discount the value of the less concrete, which is the creative community and sharing information and just sort of getting a general sense of what's going on and improving standards, because that's also critically important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll also speak to because um, uh, last year I was approached by uh, an agent interested in developing a potential package for my show. That's been put on pause largely because I had to create my show. <laughs> but the, the 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 things that you guys talked about in terms of like when I was approached, I was like, how what the how, how do I do any of this? <laughs> how do I engage with any? I've never I've never like I'm not a professional writer. I haven't been trained in kind of like the 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 legality of it. Um I was very grateful to have a couple other indie audio drama creators who are also going through the same thing and who are willing to talk. Um though that was a that was because I simply knew them and I was willing to kind of I, I had the ability to reach out to know that there is a resource out there that is uh, and I think what the WGA is uh, the the Audio Alliance is trying to do is create more access points for the community um, to make sure that you do know that this is something this is something that you can reach to you can reach in and 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 connect to um, and I think that's a really important aspect of this is uh, both from the community side and the the the, I guess, professional side. Um, my fiance is a lawyer. So like, he was also immediately <laughs> like, you got to get, the, you got to get the legal stuff set up before you say anything. <laughs> um, uh, but that was a, that's a, that's a huge, it's a, hu- it is a huge thing. And I think um, with creatives, especially up and coming creatives and indie creatives, uh, the professional aspect of this is a little elusive and it's really hard to access if you don't have money for a lawyer or money for, yep. uh, you know, a, a class to get to, to understand like the setup of the professional world uh, or professional creative world. And for me, I think it's it's um it's really important for for us to be able to make that even more accessible. And again, creating these access points. So, make, I know the WGA Audio Alliance is try, is going to try to make sure that we are like doing this, doing interviews to get the word out that like the, this resource is here. Um, uh, so that's I think uh, the the big thing for 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 the on the indie audio drama front. So let's let's get specific about that, right? So as you've all mentioned, right, podcasting is an industry that is absolutely flooded with new and up and coming independent and totally broke creators making scripted work, uh, both <laughs> fiction and nonfiction um, on their own. So what resources is the Audio Alliance going to provide and how can these aforementioned totally broke independent creators access them? 
Yeah, sure. Well, I, we don't charge for anything. <laughs> we have no plans to charge for anything. It's all, all on the WGA East's dime for now. So thank, thank you thank all. Thank you, so um, But I, the most con- – so for one, this is a very new organization. Uh, you probably actually, if you're listening to this, this might be the first time you've heard about it. I think to be very candidly, this is the first conversation any of us have had where we have referenced this as the WGA mm-hmm. Audio Alliance. Yay! So that's exciting. Yeah, we took, we took a long time we- actually figuring out that name too. Yeah, the vote, the vote came yeah, through what, last night? we just named ourselves over an email chain <laughs> – days yeah <laughs> yes exactly yeah so so this is a very new organization but we're kind of like making our like debut sort of in the next few weeks um and but one of the things that we're going to be doing to kind of do that uh is and that also gets to like the resources that we're going to be sort of rolling out is we're going to just start by having some events which are kind of panel discussions about various aspects to this um the first one is going to be about the art of audio fiction uh it's going to be on october 26th at 8 p.m uh we're going to have uh it's gonna. This is a great panel. This is so cool. Uh, it's moderated by Gabrielle Urbina, and it's gonna have Lauren Shippen, uh, Megan Fitzmartin, and Diana Ramos on the on the on the panel, which I think is gonna be an awesome. I, I don't know. I'm very excited that we not only are bringing something of substance to our first like debut thing, but I think it's these are the kinds of things that we want to do to just kind of bring people in, and then from there, basically, that is our kind of uh, mind hack. The whole thing is just basically a gate way drug to get you into thinking about the kind of things that we're doing and also hopefully start guiding you towards resources that we're going to have right now. I think a lot of it is also we're developing these resources based on what people need and want. But for us, to me, I think it's like you're making an audio show. You're making your first audio show for me. Actually, I think you should just jump in and make it. I think to, to me, I want us to be there when you've made your thing. And I think I think for the folks out there who want to be getting into the space, I I think, you know, learning from the people involved, having resources for us from us that are potentially available for that. But I think what we really want is once you've made your show, once you've done your thing, if you learn the lessons that you learn on that journey, that work there with other people who have also completed that hike or done that thing, ready to kind of like celebrate that thing with you and then also talk to you about what other things there might be available, meet other people, professional networking and things like that. But then also if you do happen to like, you know, Whatever kismet has to happen for you to have a successful show, uh, and it is something that does have value to the external world, and there are the entities that start coming to you and people who do want to give you the resources to make your thing even better. That's the other thing about these third parties, right, is they're coming with resources in order to make you make your thing even better and bigger and greater than it could have ever been. Uh, And then we hopefully will sort of have those resources and meetings and things that you can go to uh, and other panels to kind of figure that stuff out, (laughs) that roadmap. As a writer myself, one of the big things that has come up for me is a a network of other writers and writers that come from different other like other mediums as well. I think what uh, what we're we're I think we're missing in the indie indie audio drama community is this um, interdisciplinary focus. And I think the WGA kind of represents that. Um, uh, and I think that's, that's something that is really useful for new and upcoming and young writers is that they have more experience with understanding if they're going to get into the audio fiction as a medium, being able to differentiate audio writing versus television versus film writing, I think is actually really important. And one of the best ways to do that is to talk with 
to coordinate with, to understand and actually reach out to writers that have done other things and are also doing now audio fiction uh, or scripted podcasts. I think that's something that for, I think, especially for new and upcoming writers, because new and upcoming writers, you don't know what's out there. To be able to have a, a, a group of professionals who can kind of give you these tidbits of what is out there, what is possible, um, I think is really good to set a good foundation um, for people who are aspiring audio fiction writers. Yeah, I would say that the one of the pieces of advice I've heard from a lot of if you would, if you will, traditional Writers Guild members, people who started in TV or features who have moved into the uh, podcast space, scripted podcast space, is to say, well, there are certain basic storytelling principles. If you're going to write an audio drama, write an audio drama. Don't write a television pilot and then hope it works for the ear. It's a different set of, of skills, a different set of muscles, a different set of expectations. Because a lot of people, I think, also think of themselves as writing inexpensive TV pilots. They want to have some one of these giant entities come down and swoop, yep. swoop them up and put them on television. And that's great. And it can happen. And uh, if you don't have a Writers Guild contract before then, you're going to be in trouble. So be sure to sign <laughs> that kind of project. We encourage it. But it's a different medium. And, you know, if you write if you write for TV, it's not going to be a very good podcast any more than if you wrote for the air. It wouldn't necessarily make great TV. So it is a medium unto itself. And we can be part of the conversations about how to make that medium even more interesting. I think audiences clamor for it. Absolutely. And yeah. make, making the, the dramas more compelling, the comedies funnier is, is, is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, oh, sorry, just to tag on, one of the things I think that, uh, especially to, to speak for the entities at this point, too, is that I think by doing all this, for us, we really want to make, we want to raise the bar for what, for for scripted audio all in general. And just by, yeah, by, by for me, by starting to meet more independent producers and listening to their work, that's informing the type, the choices and the things that I'm doing with my work. But like, you know, getting a scene going, there's nothing like getting a scene going in order to like improve improve the work, uh, getting people competitive with one another, like hearing what somebody's doing and being like, I, we, I need to do this, but I don't want to do this. Oh my gosh, this person is so good at this one thing. I've got to like copy or steal or try to one up that or one. Thing. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Or the legitimate way of yes. stealing from somebody of, of hiring them and giving them compensation for them. Uh, but nobody's I think that, the like, people who are listening, uh, uh, Matt was using air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hiring, hiring. Sure, sure. Uh, but I think all of these things, you know, this is what you want with like cross pollinating and making a thing. And then basically, I think uh, this is kind of a, mm -hmm. a grand experiment, right? Uh, scripted audio is still very much and it has been in kind of this nascent bubbling phase for a while now. And I think it's taking everybody, not only the writers and, and producers, but also these, you know, the audibles and Spotify's of the world to kind of come together. And we're all trying to figure out how to make the products that people want, how to put them out there, how to market them, like how to you know, the uh, even just a couple years ago when we started making smarter, it was like difficult for some people to understand that, yes, we're doing like a, that. This is not a two people talking comedy podcast, that this is a scripted thing, that it's not just improvised, that people aren't just making it up. It, it, it It's the kind of thing that there's a lot of work that goes into this. And I think figuring out ways to present that to people to get them in through the to the through the right way. Those are things that we're also figuring out as these things go to the public. And I think for us, the Audio Alliance in a lot 
lot of ways is about getting this industry yeah. off to the right start and getting making sure that like the foundation is really strong, not only for protections for writers, but also, and this is a lot of what we've been talking about, but in terms of equity and social justice and wanting to make sure that the audio industry doesn't start off, you know, looking white and male like so many other, you know, industries in Hollywood and entertainment things are, and then having to retroactively, you know, fix it and, and apologize and people, you know, say racist things. And then we'll like, well, it's because, you know, how we all came up and it was different back then. And you got to understand yeah, the we, white guys were the only ones who were saying things. We like, don't have that know, excuse. All that's. <laughs> We can't. Have right. It. Exactly. We really, no, yeah, we want to really start this off mm-hmm. uh, on the right foot. And so we've been and the Audio Alliance has been like very much for us putting these resources out there and getting people in is also very much about equity and also very much about social justice and about reaching out and making sure that everybody has access, as you said, for free to the tools that they need, not only to, 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 to find other people making shows, to listen to other shows, to learn how to make shows, but then also to be protected just like everybody else is. Yeah. Great. Um, so I actually, uh, before we keep digging into this, I actually have one question to make sure that everyone here is on the same page. Um, so we've been talking about scripted audio work. Um, but I want to ask, how is the Audio Alliance going to be, for all intents and purposes, defining a scripted podcast, since there is a lot of work in the fiction space uh, that is uh, improvised or semi-improvised and semi-scripted, like things like Mission to Zix, um, uh, actual play podcasts, right, that are gamified fiction settings, Um and uh, things like that. Yeah, we've actually had, uh, and this is regularly brought up um, within our conversations, um, uh, that w- we're we're using right now. And I know I use audio fiction simply because that is how I most easily use it in terms of what I do. However, we've made it very explicitly clear that we want we actually want to kind of keep that question open ended simply because this is such a new medium and there's still terms that are floating around of what actually it it, it encompasses. Um, And I think we did want to say, you know, things that are, if you, if you have an audio writer, if you, uh, if you hire a writer for your show, it likely falls within what we're, what we're trying to help, what, how, how we're trying to help. Um, That's at least as far as what I understand it. Right now, it is largely aimed towards fiction of things that are not necessarily uh, entirely, um, you know, based. It's not necessarily uh, scripted podcasts that are for nonfiction, like documentary. However, I know we've had this conversation internally of like it might potentially need to expand to that, mm-hmm. um, depending on the the desire of and the, and the 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 need for 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 those types of writers to be represented and to find actually find representation love you mentioning mission to zix one of my favorites with a little with a lot of great uh, new york comedy people great great show um but i think for one of those things actually i think I, for example take that podcast which i think is a really interesting example of this right i think if those folks wanted to be represented as writers uh th- on that project under a contract like that and i think because of the process of that show where it is improvised but then things are heavily edited down and improvising into you know making you know uh, like christopher guest movies for example or things like that 
that. You know, those are that is a way in which comedy movies and TV shows and things like that have been made for a long time. Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, for example, where things are improvised but then edited down. But that is itself a form of writing. I think if the the cast members of that wanted to be represented as writers on that project in order to get the benefits of it. I think that that's, that is, I think a, a way to kind of think about the framing of doing something like that, where sure that maybe they're not putting pen to paper, but they're also not having a, a free form conversation. They're not having just, you know, a, a little bit of a, this is like that Supreme court, like yeah. what is pornography? Like I know it when I see it kind of thing. <laughs> and I do think that this is a little bit of that. And I think we're all excited to have the conversations about what those boundaries are. But for me, it's like, if you're working in this space, doing more work, you know, not more work than conversational podcasts, because those are a lot of work as well. But have you're having this type of work, and it okay. makes sense to you to be represented as a writer, then I think those are the conversations that we would have. Although I don't know, Lowell, if you have a more. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, look, look, the, our definition of writing and literary material is pretty broad. I mean, there are pure documentary films that have script writing credits. We in the podcast space, we are negotiating at, yep. at three scripted yes. nonfiction shops. They all, all three of them happen to be owned yeah. by Spotify, but yeah. Gimlet, uh, Ringer and Park, Parcast. Parcast now. Uh, and those, and those folk, folks are writers and they get writer credit, but they're also producers who craft narrative outlines or edit outlines. And, you know, they're all covered by our contracts. They are, our main TV contract covers just quote unquote writers, but even in, in television, for example, there's there's gradations, there's story producers, there's showrunners who are represented. And a lot of what they do could be called producing. And a lot of what a what a what a what a co-executive producer does in television could be called writing. Because you're crafting the story and 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 making sure that the narrative runs along well. So writing is and in we represent a lot of news writers and a lot of those people are also producers or or editors. Um, so yeah. We can we can do it. We can cover it. It's 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 all it's all basically <laughs> it's all storytelling. You know, it's not it's um, I don't know that a, that a person who's selling ads necessarily is a storyteller who would be covered by a contract. But somebody who comes up with the, with the jokes and figures out how to edit them down into, a, you know, a 20 minute spot on episode. Yeah, that, that's uh, mm -hmm. I, I also like I also like what you said that we have these are conversations to keep on having because. It hasn't sort of reified into specific limitations on what people can and cannot do. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, by the way, shout out to Parcast Union for their uh, recent success. Woohoo. Yep. Uh, it was yeah. really exciting. Yep. Um, so an important focus um, and, and current reckoning in the podcast audio industry uh, is the equitable uh, hiring and treatment of audio workers of color, exemplified by Broccoli Content's Equality in Audio Pact. So how is the Audio Alliance going to commit to supporting and engaging with marginalized and underrepresented writers in the audio industry? Yeah. So this is, I mean, you can't start an initiative like this this summer and I think not have this be a huge part of your conversations, which I think is like speaks to like how, I, and, you know, obviously we wish that we weren't having these conversations because of the things that happened, but I think we're all grateful to be having these kinds of social justice conversations now and taking them, I think, more seriously than I've ever seen them taken. Uh, and so this has been a big part of our conversations about what we've been doing and committing to diversity and committing to equity and things like that within this organization 
decision. For us, the thing that this kind of looks like, at least for what we've been doing right now, is we want to create a resource for folks who are looking for writers uh, or looking for people who are part of the alliance, who are working in the space to be able to, well, to never be able to say like, oh, I don't know, we 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 wanted, to, we would love to write somebody, find somebody of color, a BIPOC person or somebody who has disabilities or a veteran or any of that. We'd love to find somebody from a myriad of, div, of different identities that are not uh, the, the majority in this country. And, but we couldn't find them. We don't want anybody to ever be able to say that. So we've been putting together resources to help people contact and find people who are working in this space who are people of color. And we've also been, I think for us, uh, as we've sort of been saying, working actively to recruit people like that to this uh, organization and also uh, create, I think, ideally seed in the minds of people who might want to join this organization who are uh, people of color, who are um, underrepresented identities to get them in their minds thinking, oh, this is a place that's welcoming to me and that wants to hear my stories and where there's a lot of other people who are telling those stories uh, and that I could be one of those people. Yeah. And one of the things that um, I know I very consciously thought of and I know that uh, um, when I was when 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 uh, I was contacted to to get involved, it was definitely also in the language that this is an initiative we need that, you know, they needed more voices of color, voices uh, for LGBTQ, trans, uh, disabled veteran voices. And I know when then I, w- I was asked to reach out to the audio drama community, that is what I kept in mind. And I think that's something that um, is going to be really important going forward is just keeping that f- like forward in mind. And I think that's also a part of how um, we're talking about who we're selecting for for panels, for events, for uh, talking points is making sure that those voices are are you know as forward as possible. Something that my mentor has always taught me is that um, uh, is that when you have a a, uh, f- a face of of color in a room, it makes mm-hmm. other people more comfortable to be in that room too. And I think that's a really important part of this, even though this is largely audio drama, uh, scripted podcasts, <laughs> voice only. I think in, especially in this age of, of uh, virtual panels, it is more accessible than ever. We don't have an excuse not to allow essentially people to sit in front of a camera and be represented and to speak from their experience and not just in a diversity panel, but actually talking about the craft itself. Um, and I think that's yes. something that was very clear. And I know at least for on my end that um, I, I was grateful to, to to hear that other people were also right behind that with WGA too. And I think it's also a part of holding, holding um, the, the, the initiative accountable um, is saying this out loud is that this we we've said right off the bat in our in our uh, in the the initiation of this is that this is important to us and therefore we need to be held to our word on that yeah the absolutely ec- equity and inclusion issues are really core for the writers guild of america east they were before the murder of george floyd they were before the revelations about harvey weinstein um we we've been battling hard on the political fronts and in the industry for a long time to ensure that writers' rooms and that storytellers' newsrooms uh, are much more representative of the community as a whole, and frankly, of the audience as a whole. There is something 
self-defeating about an industry like the traditional entertainment industry having exclusive hiring and, and greenlighting processes. It's just it's counterproductive. So equity and inclusion is critical as a matter of social justice, but also just having stories that are that are um, meaningful to as many people as possible. So uh, to the point that both Matt and Luzette have made already, we have the opportunity not to make the mistakes that were made in TV and feature films, where now we have to battle decades of bad history to try to open the doors that were slammed shut. These doors are open now, and let's let's keep them that way. Something also just to, to mention briefly is I think one of the things that we've noticed as we've been doing outreach to the independent scripted audio community is how diverse that community is already, which is incredible. It's like, to and then and the fact that I think for us, a lot of the folks who have been coming in through these third party organizations, were not as diverse immediately. And so for us, it's like, well, why we shouldn't be letting Hollywood or whatever like entity, whatever you want to like kind of ascribe to all these things, uh, define the makeup of this scene and instead we can just let the scene define the makeup of the scene because it's already such a rich and diverse and inclusive uh scene out there so we would really love to be i think for us it's about preserving the inclusivity that is already prevalent in the indie scripted audio space and bringing that uh, you know uh, the legitimacy that perhaps this brings but also the resources that this brings but basically kind of converting that into a professional working space for everybody on the best possible labor terms is kind of i think what we're all about mm-hmm. let me push back on something a little bit and and give you an opportunity to expand on this because i think it's really important um and it's that The audio industry, unfortunately, does have a ton of carryover from public radio, right? Because public radio is such a huge force in podcasting. A lot of the podcasting, let's say, uh, critique and also like podcasting uh, money and where it's going are to white, cis, male, insert slashes where necessary, um, ideas and stories um, and voices. I think there is a lot of carryover. So... When you are approaching this specific set of communities that are working in the scripted space, how are you thinking about the influence from those areas and how are you going to be addressing them either in your language, in actions, um, and in internal thought processes? Yeah, I think that to me, well, <laughs> for one thing, uh, I do think that we have a lot of that. This is a new space on our side. I think that there is a lot of novelty here, as far as you know. There, and uh, I, I bet somebody, I bet the, I bet NPR has made some great scripted audio drama recently <laughs> or something, and I'm uh, going to offend everybody who worked on that. But there, but I think that like <laughs> this is somewhat untread territory, which gives us a chance and an opening right now to define the space. And to me, I think that uh, it's a uh, we just keep saying it's sort of like about starting off on the right foot and having these thoughts and conversations in mind at the beginning of things. And I can't think of an industry that's been able to have that opportunity to start off by having these conversations and being really thoughtful about this stuff right at the right at the outset. And I, I can I guess for me, it's like these are conversations that we've been having in almost every meeting that we've had about um, what our overarching goals are. Um, and I I think for us, our commitment to 
these principles is something that's going to be right there on the front page of uh, the website that I will soon be promoting. On this <laughs> um, <laughs> all the things that I think that we're going to be putting out there, I really hope. And as Lizette said, I hope that we're really held to account for those things because they're mm-hmm. think foundational principles for what we're doing. Um, it's tough for me to say like what, how we're going <laughs> to, we are going to be doing a lot of these things. Cause we're, we're about to be doing a lot of these things. Um, right. But so for me, it's like, all I can say is like, these are conversations that we're having right at the beginning of this. These are the kinds of things that we're going to be when we interface with these larger companies about what a WGA, uh, you know, e contract is. This is the kind of language like this is going to be in there. Actually, Lowell maybe can speak to the way that the WGA has been kind of um, positioning this messaging and things like that in the conversation that they've already been having with the industry. But I think we, I think they've been doing a really good job, and I think these are the things that we want to be presenting as well. Um, that this is just a priority. This is something that it's needs to be done for um, you know all the reasons that we've listed and it's for as far as we can tell something that will be done yeah i think you're probably right about um the nonfiction side of the carryover Mm -hmm. and we have a very concrete agenda to address it at the bargaining table we have uh formulated proposals and fought like hell for all of these proposals on recruitment on hiring on retention and workplace culture uh it's a top priority that's been identified by the people we represent at, at Gimlet, Ringer, Parkest. We have we just got recognition, so we haven't started negotiating, but we know that these issues are important there. So we have things like, um, you know, conscious affirmative recruitment language that we press for in our contracts, Rooney Rule in the hiring process, uh, reten- paying attention to both retention and workplace culture, which are related to each other. Um, pro- conversational processes while the contract is in effect, like what happens if something arises, if there's a microaggression or a macroaggression or other things that are really distressing and and um, undermine the value of equity and inclusion that we push for in the hiring process. We, we address all these things at the bargaining table. They're not easy to win. You know, these are not easy conversations to have with employers, but they're a top priority for us in negotiations. And, and I'm proud of what we've been able to achieve in our contracts, both in the, well, in the digital news space and other news spaces, and also, um, you know, in what we've got on the table at the other Spotify companies. One of the other things I know that um, uh, we've talked about, and it was actually in the conversation around uh, when you were brainstorming events, and I think this is something, and apologies if I get to sociology uh, major, even though that wasn't necessarily my major, but it's a big part of my no, no, education background. It. Please bring it. <laughs> it's the edu- it, it really, it's the education on, on uh, economics and the and like e- economic um, uh, and financial education for, for creatives, which I think that a lot of indie producers don't have. Like I see over and over and over again, questions about like, how do like really basic questions on indie producers of like how to structure my budget how to how to fundraise what is out there like what 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 uh what websites are available for me to like you know how do i reach out to potential funders or sponsors like on my own accord how do i engage with them like i think the like financial literacy is very low and purposefully low for uh marginalized communities and i think it's really important and with one of the uh, kind of events that we were trying to, you know, brainstorm out of the many, many topics that we could possibly (laughs) talk about is budgeting is like kind of like that financial literacy for creating audio drama and really kind of I think that's a super important aspect in inclusivity and equity 
is financial literacy. And I think that for for people coming in, there should absolutely be um, additional discussions, uh, courses, training, and resources on that topic specific for audio drama and audio drama writers. Um, and I think that's that is crucial to bringing in and retaining, I think, um, participants within the uh, WGA Audio Alliance, too. You handled this question beautifully. Thank you so much for answering that. Um, just like giving you like, yes, this is what I wanted to hear. Very good. <laughs> good. Glad to, glad um, to do it. Yeah. So I, I do uh, actually want to quickly shout out one of our members, yeah, uh, Tavy Marie, uh, who's a writer, who's one of our members who has been holding us to account for a lot of this stuff and who has been really thoughtful about all of this uh, and uh, the work that she's been doing within our community. I think uh, with, within this organization, I think uh, should just be recognized if we're going to be talking about this stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um. So. I'm going to uh, get a little bit uh, personal here for myself. I am from Puerto Rico and in, uh, I'm from, uh, I grew up there and this is a background and frame of reference where the unions that I have experience with and that my family has experience with are very corrupt. Um, that's just kind of a statement of fact. Uh, so let's talk, let, addressing, thinking about the issues that you have encountered when telling people to join a union or to come and join a union working group, what don't independent creators need to worry about with the Audio Alliance? You can you can go with lower than embezzling, which is what I was thinking about. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I love this question, by the way. This is like a very, like, the Irishman question. <laughs> what, what's the power, what is the power of this union? Who could they take down? <laughs> well, I'm going to make you answer this one for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, very little embezzlement. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, look, the power of the union is. I, this is going to sound corny, but it's really true, and it informs our work. The power of the union is actually the members. You know, that's how we get things done. If we want, if we're having a problem at the bargaining table with an employer, the most effective message we can make, in addition to brilliantly crafted arguments about why the employer should agree to this or that. The, the, the best and more effective way to approach it is to say, this is really important to our members who work for you. And if you really are not willing to agree to it, then they, they will stop doing some of that work or they will be unhappy and they will tweet mean things about you. This, their morale will sink and your productivity will decline. I mean, really the union's power comes from the people who, who, belong to the union. Uh, the rest of it is kind of, you know, superstructure. And, and I don't mean to suggest that there aren't, uh, there isn't an institution. There is, we have, we have a big staff. We have a, a bunch of people whose, whose jobs, whose careers, whose passion is to represent people in collective bargaining and organizing and political work and, and putting on panel discussions and so forth. And, and, and all of them do a really great job and their salaries are all paid by our members who pay dues. And we all know it. The big, so the best sort of antidote to either either ineffective representation or even worse, you know, negative representation with corruption is an active and engaged membership. Um, and that's what we have. We uh, when we organize, I, I invite anyone who's interested to talk to anyone we've organized in the past 10 years, uh, people who have never been in a union before and say, well, what was it really like? You know, did they come in and try to boss you around? No, absolutely not. Um 
that I think is the proof of the pudding that we are we are fundamentally and the source of our power is being a democratic small d democratic institution. Um, and if if we fail our members, they'll get rid of us. They will. Uh, thankfully, we, we haven't had to worry about that. But that's really that's really, I think, the, the, the most effective answer to the concerns that people have maybe about the labor movement, not necessarily just being thieves, but just being old school and out of touch. That's not us. Mm-hmm. On a scale of one to Jimmy Hoffman, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> He's alive with Elvis someplace. <laughs> That's where all of our packets are going right now. Uh, yeah. That- <laughs> Brick joke. That was great. <laughs> I would say, uh, from my perspective, obviously, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not part of the union. I am part of the alliance. Uh, I. I'm not a uh, I'm not I'm not a due paying member. Um, uh, whether that may may or may not change will likely be due to other circumstances. <laughs> um, uh, mm-hmm. But I think part of the things that I think people shouldn't worry about is that they can't engage if they're not a member either, that they can't get anything out of it if they're not a part of it. Um, uh, and I think this is true for a lot of unions. Um, and I know especially it is it is. I won't say it's trendy, but unions are starting to get more positive press within the millennial and Gen Z uh, kind of communities, right, or generations. Um, uh, and I think a part of that is also kind of recognizing what does it mean to collectively organize. Um, uh, and I think what helps is institutions that have experience with collectively organizing po- and have positive experience doing that. And I think with people who are younger, who don't have experience in these like professional organizations, it's helpful to have a structure that's already kind of tried and true. Um, as someone myself, like, you know, I love innovation. I love additional conversations, but I also really like structures that have the ability to say like, this is what has worked. And this is what is uh, really helpful when it comes to working together as human beings, because working together as human beings is hard enough um, without any structure. <laughs> um, and I think I really appreciate the conversations that I've had during, um, you know, Audio Alliance meetings and, and discussions and brainstorming is that it really is, I, I think the, 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 the small D democratic is a really helpful term to use that the idea is there's encouragement of participation, encouragement of bringing in more ideas and different perspectives Um, and I think that, and, and having, having it facilitated in a way that is helpful. Um, and I think that is also important to keep in mind going forward for the, for, for, for the Alliance too, is making sure that the conversations continue to be productive, um, and continue to expand and be, be, and be more inclusive. If, if I uh, could share a quick story <laughs> about one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this, uh, that's all right. Um, so uh, t- for me, the, the uh, one thing that I think I've realized personally over the last 10 years of working in entertainment and working in comedy is that the value of labor, not just in protecting its members, but I also very firmly believe its value in protecting an industry, just like how Lizette is saying like, oh, but with the WGA coming in, it's giving kind of legitimacy to the whole indie scene and like there's something really here there's value here for the the work that we're doing but it's also giving value to the entire industry 
industry that it's in. And it's also creating a framework and a way for people in that industry to fight for that industry. And I, if on this point, I, I even would include the, you know, Audible and Spotify and these like bigger companies and the people within them who really are passionate about audio, scripted audio, and want to make this a medium. So the story that I, I'm going to share, and I, is, is, which is at the core of why I'm really passionate about this is, uh, so, you know, uh, not at the, in the beginning of the 2010s, uh, I was a staff writer at the onion. Uh, I worked for their video writing department for the onion news network. And we had gotten a grant from YouTube. Uh, and at the, at the time to, they gave us a bunch of money to make some, uh, web series, uh, exclusive to YouTube that were onion branded. We made some really wonderful stuff. We made this show called sex house. That's probably the most mm-hmm. successful and popular from that time. Lake dredge appraisal pork. I don't know. Old onion heads know this stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and I personally, some of the stuff that I'm most proud of working on, cause we had tons of creative freedom. But at the beginning of that, when YouTube was giving all these grants, the W this is the first time I had ever been approached by the WGA. They, the WGA East approached the onion writers and, uh, and basically they had just flipped our TV show, which was its, its own whole thing. But they had also come to, to, to us to see basically if the digital writers wanted to join up with the union and be protected, particularly for our contracts for this initiative. Now, what I didn't know at the time was that YouTube, that the YouTube hadn't fully destroyed digital uh, video on, in, on independent platforms. So like a company like the onion used to have their own video player on their site, or I guess maybe the onion, I don't, I don't think they still do, but places like funnier <laughs> die or the onion or college humor used to have mm-hmm. video players on their site and they used to sell ads against their own video inventory. Uh, YouTube was kind of coming in and being like, Hey, this is where video is going to be online now. And they were reaching out and giving these grants to like established creators to get them onto the platform. And basically so the, the, the union wanted to unionize my little writing shop. There were six of us who were going to be working on this project. And th- we ended up not going, we ended up not unionizing. And I don't, I, I, the, we, it actually, it did help us get better negotiation, better terms in our negotiations with the onion, which I was very thankful for. It helped us guarantee a year's worth of employment on this. Whereas originally they just wanted to do it quarterly and the digital media ecosystem was a wild west. Nobody really, you know, web series and things like that. They were all being made by different, uh, you know, shops and things like that. And, uh, I don't think, and basically what happened over the next 10 years was all of those independent institutions that used to create videos and employ writers, digital shops, digital comedy shops, they've all been destroyed. Uh, Places like Facebook and YouTube, what they did was they lowered the amount of money that any institution can make from a video, the, the CPM rate. They lowered it to barely anything because that was the amount of money that they needed to make on pre roll ads or things like that on their platform. And they were introducing things like programmatic advertising, which is basically advertising through targeted, you know, algorithmically targeted ads where this is what data privacy is all about, right? They know who you are. So they target, you know, for me, it's a spinning top. I always get ads for this inception (laughs) spinning top everywhere I go, you know, the top from inception, which is like a crazy ad to get because it makes you question your own reality, which is the purpose of the top in the movie inception. So like, but whatever, for whatever reason, this company thinks that I'm really susceptible to being a huge Inception fanboy. So whatever. They follow me around the internet. But any the the All the of mine upshot, are in Spanish. The, I speak English <laughs> algorithm. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, so you see how effective this, these yeah. ads are. 
right? But that advertising system, the programmatic advertising system, it it did, I think, and I don't think any of us realized it at the time. I thought was excited to be putting, making stuff for YouTube. I was excited for these big tech companies to be coming in and to be, you know, democratizing video production and democratizing all these things. Those are the kind of the the language that we used at the time and that these places still use. Uh, But what ended up happening was that now you cannot really make a living, at least making comedy videos online as a part of an institution. And it's very difficult to do on your own. And what it does hasn't done instead is it's atomized and fractured these scenes rather than building one together. And it's atomized and fractured our culture. I think I had no idea at the time that what this like, (laughs) what this little thing was doing was also going to be destroying democracy. I think you can make a very strong argument (laughs) that all of this didn't just lead to like me not being able to work at for the onion to make videos anymore, but also led to, you know, Donald Trump and all of the things that are happening right now before of our very yeah. eyes. Yeah, I, I think, and I think that I'm <laughs> sorry for so many years I've been told like I'm crazy for saying these no, things because no, no. I've been feeding this drum. But no, right? I think we're all seeing this in front of us. Targeted advertising, programmatic advertising are is the thing is surveillance capitalism. Mm-hmm. Shoshana Zuboff. I don't know if you guys are reading mm-hmm. the surveillance capitalism, but Shout these are the things. Yep. <laughs> So these are the things that are ruining, I think, our very society. So these things, programmatic advertising, targeted advertising, these are things that are about to come to podcasting. These are things that right now they're at. You can Google it right now. Programmatic advertising, the spend on it doubled in the last year. Large companies. And I think that what we're going to be seeing is that places like Spotify and Audible, which right now have teams devoted to like making these bigger budget scripted audio shows, reaching out and finding talent and doing things like that. There's going to be, I think, a a little war within these companies about that way of monetizing podcasting and this other way, which is going to be instead inviting all independent creators onto our platform and then letting them check a box where we can just insert whatever ads we want into their podcast. And that will seem like it's going to be easier. Oh, I don't have to go out and get sponsors. I don't have to be a part of a network. I don't have to negotiate or do any of these things. Mm -hmm. What it's going to do, we've already just we've already seen this is it's going to lower the CPMs to be basically an unworkable rate for everybody making those, except for maybe a, a, a tiny percentage of people who have a huge listenership who it'll be beneficial for. But instead for everybody else, it's going to suppress the prices. It's going to lower the quality of the vast majority of these audio shows. And this goes for all podcasts, but scripted audio in particular, I think, mm-hmm. which is the most resource intensive of, you know, uh, in the podcast ecosystem, highly produced, really beautiful things where you want to hire a composer and you want to hire writers and ambitious products are what programmatic advertising, I think what we've seen, unfortunately, I think the ideals were great, but I think we've just seen that it doesn't work. And so to me, I, for me, I see this as like a chance to do it right this time. <laughs> Where it's like We're seeing it again. I'm seeing this happen again. I'm seeing the monster, you know, looming over the horizon, but this time I know what it looks like. And I know, and I, you know, and video online video, I think was a bigger thing and a, a massive thing. And who knows, maybe it all would have happened anyways. But I'm seeing this little industry where uh, the reason why I'm here, I think, is because it's an innovative and an exciting and cool new place where people can say whatever they want. Comedians can come and do whatever they want, write whatever they want, say, you know, crazy shit. And I think that we're seeing for me, I'm seeing this all happen again. And I think something like the 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 writers, the audio, the WGA Audio Alliance, I think something that we can do is we can be a place, a little foothold, a little, you know, a little club, a little, you know, militia. (laughs) 
<laughs> against this kind of thing where we can see this happening and we can come together to educate other people that this is going on and make sure that if it does happen, it happens on our terms, but maybe we all figure out that it's in the best interest of everybody that it doesn't. And that instead we move to sort of like a Netflix model, a Netflix and indie model for scripted audio where, yeah, you can make your own independent production and you can make ad supported work by going out and joining a network and finding sponsorships or things like that. But that there's also this tier of high quality production that's, you know, WGA contracts, SAG contracts, high budget stuff for like really high budget need shows, ambitious, creative work, the kind of stuff that, you know, inspires all of humanity <laughs> can happen, uh, as well as a vibrant and, you know, sort of like a con convection of talent from that in, from the indie scene, from that diverse and incredibly, you know, you know, creative, innovative indie scene into these, you know, professional, into a professional class of audio writers. To me, that's what this little entity yeah. can do, what our entity and can do. And I'm going to add on this, and because this is something for the past couple of years, I know I've been pushing for, and Ellie, you could probably back me up, but that I have been pushing for <laughs> community conversations and community and community building. And this is an issue within indie audio sphere is what that actually looks like long term. Yes. And these conversations that keep happening in terms of, you know, when people uh, split up uh, and into into networks, you know, what is the benefit of networks versus versus independent independent product like production shops versus advertising versus crowdfunding. This is kind of where um, I think the rubber hits the road. Uh, with audio drama is and with audio fiction and scripted podcasts is whether or not um, there can be a representative community that can that can uh, like seek out long term what this medium is going to look like. And I think this is a really good opportunity for that for for the health of the community. I think we need we need to have uh, and, and be clear headed on this. In that, um, I know I know people are afraid of consolidation of power in any kind of circumstance, but um, unions are a long-running format and structure that can work well when it's when it's uh, when it's autonomous, when it's when it's transparent, and when it's inclusive and it's committed to committed to the work and the 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 value of the craft. And this is something I know, at least for me personally. And I will say, like Matt is is echoing a lot of my own passion for this. Um, is that it is important work, and I want this craft to be valued. And I think this is a really good way to do that. Looking into the future and providing a community that is professional, but also hopeful and creative and and innovative. Um, I think unions can really provide that in a way that a single a single production company, a single uh, uh, shop or, 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 or platform um, or even informal writing group can't really do. In 2009, I participated in the first World Conference of Screenwriters in Athens. And this was when YouTube was still considered a little funky. Um, but everybody, all the professional writers there were very concerned that um, – storytelling was dead, that that audiences would be fine with watching amateur videos and cats on skateboards, and that the ability to actually do meaningful work to craft narratives <laughs> and do it professionally and make a living at it was gone. It was over. And we spent years 
consciously deconstructing that concept and consciously building power to resist that. So if, if what we can do in the scripted podcast world is similar, I think it's, we can be successful. We, we, we can't take for granted that there is going to be a race to the bottom. There is a high road strategy here and the mm. union is a central component of it because this is where creators can come together and think about what's happening and what they could do to counteract it. And to build a more professional model. I mean, if you think about it, I, I, yeah. I mentioned that the 2008 Writers Guild strike was the first digital strike because it was a strike over this thing called the Internet that nobody knew what, what was going to happen, which <laughs> maybe wasn't true. A lot of people were poised to make a lot of money at it, but it was certainly chaotic. It was the Wild West. And by starting to negotiate rules and starting to create communities of creators, you know, there, there is a professional video model online. It's Netflix. It's Amazon despite many shortcomings <laughs> does you know it, it pays a lot of money to produce some really good shows so it, there is there is a high road strategy that that we want to be part of yeah and it, it keeps the quality up it raises the quality and also and i really do want to you know i really love the producer that i've been working with at audible uh and i think that you know on that side too it maintains those jobs i think keeping this high quality or establishing a high quality audio industry provides benefits to everybody in this industry not just to labor but labor in a union like this and, and this alliance this is how we have the the bargaining power to be a, a strong player within these conversations so, uh, Lisette, you uh, work in restorative justice, and as part of your uh, vast experience, uh, you have spoken and you know a lot about um, internal community and project structures and protections, especially when it comes to harassment, abuse, and reporting paths. So what can you tell us about how the Audio Alliance um, is incorporating these ideas into its structure and its relationship with that of the WGA? So as far as I know, and, and I haven't been a part of a lot of the, the more legal aspects of these conversations, um, uh, as far as I understand, there are there's already uh, pre-established um, kind of guidelines uh, set by the WGA that is adopted and often uh, worked upon recently. I, I mean, I've been part of some conversations around uh, social media governance um, uh, mm -hmm. for, for the social media account and things like that. But it's something that I know, at least on my end, um, uh, that as we get closer to, um, more, I guess, more, more formal kind of roles at this point, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a group conversation, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think one of the big things is, um, and something that I'm continuously interested in is how to match what the uh, what the current organization's kind of standards are with some of the things that I know that works for for that has worked for me. Um, this is, I think, I think this question really answers is uh, the the true answer to this question is I haven't particularly had conversations yet with uh, WGA Audio Alliance about my own thoughts around. Uh, harassment, reporting pathways, things like that. I've kept an eye out to make sure that there's not anything untoward. And so far, we're all good. <laughs> but <laughs> um, uh, that's that that I think is an ongoing conversation. I sh and I think should be yeah. an ongoing conversation. And um, I think Agreed. this goes back to the accountability part. I know that I want to make sure that I hold 
these conversations accountable when I'm in them and vice versa, that people hold me accountable if, if, if I'm making any, any comments or, 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 or talk. But um, I think there's something to be said about formalizing that process. Um, uh, and this is more of like, I actually don't know exactly all of what has been laid out um, pre- in previous conversations. Hmm. I kind of entered into the, yeah. to the conversation about midway through the planning process. Yeah, no, these are these are critical conversations to have and would love to continue them. We we have made a profound commitment at the union level to all of these things. We have we do have protocols, as you said, um, I can't we've just rebranded our Web page that lays out the, the standards that we hold ourselves to as staff, uh, the standards we hope our members hold themselves to the standards we hold the employers to. Um, all of the staff people have been through several rounds of upstander and anti-oppression training. In fact, we're in the middle of a, a round right now of anti-oppression training, um, trying to address things ranging from uh, the sort of uh, unconscious bias on the passive end to um, active strategies to combat racism and misogyny in the workplace and other forms of um oppression in the workplace. So these these are central values to us um, and to our elected officials as well. I'm speaking about the staff side, but these are these are our, our council is, is is about to go through a round of anti-oppression training. So we are learning um, how to share language about these issues as well as um, be mindful of them as they as our members encounter them in, in their jobs and as our members encounter them as they interact with us, because that's that's uh, that's equally important. Yeah, I just want to say I'm I'm ex- very excited to have these. <laughs> yeah. Lisa's like I came in late to this process. Like Lisa, you probably were at the like the <laughs> your first meeting was probably maybe only the last meeting in which most of the meeting wasn't us all introducing oh. ourselves to each other. Well. <laughs> <laughs> like for, for right now, currently the main protocol that we've been trying to get down was like, how do we make the introductions of new people and what we're doing as short as possible so we can start talking about <laughs> this? Is such a new organization, which to me is uh, so exciting. I'm really meetings. excited to hear that this is. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm really excited about your background and I'm excited to, for all the, you know, I don't know what, for the, the things that this audio alliance will be doing, but that's also something to say to people out there listening and, and hearing about this thing for the first time, you are not jumping in late to something. You are jumping in at the very beginning of something, which is a super cool and exciting thing to me. Absolutely. So we're, of course, when we talk about podcasting, we're talking about Um, an international industry with a lot of free-flowing global labor, and the WGA is a uh, WJE and W are United States labor unions. So how are you handling any workers that live outside of the United States or workers who are not U.S. citizens who are working on U.S. projects? Uh, The citizenship issue is completely irrelevant. The only thing that matters in terms of just U.S. labor law is that in order to have um, the protection of a writer's guild contract, you have to, your employment relationship has to be in the U.S. Uh, so you're working under under a U.S. employment agreement, which many people who don't live in the United States, and in fact, I assume a fair number of people who've never even been to the U.S. do. Uh, if you're hired under a U.S. contract, you could be covered by the Writers Guild Collective Bargaining Agreement. We 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 are also affiliated with several international organizations. In fact, this morning and yesterday morning, I spent several hours um, in meetings with the International Affiliation of Writers Guilds, which represents writers literally across the globe, France, Germany, Britain, South Africa, India, New Zealand, South Korea, you name it. And we're also part of uh, the Uni Global Union, which is uh, which includes Uni May, which is a 
coalition of arts and entertainment unions also literally around the globe. So we we have lots and lots of joint projects with the international labor movement on issues involving writers and other creative professionals. But the short answer is, if as long as you're employed under a U.S. contract, you can be represented by the Writers Guild and be covered by our, our contract. So we've talked a lot about, you know, the beings and entities uh, about uh, like Amazon, <laughs> Audible, which I will... <laughs> I'm using that term forever now, so <laughs> audience, you've been warned. Um, but uh, we're also curious about smaller business employers. Um, will that work any differently than how you negotiate with Audible? How are they going to be, um, let's say, affected? Or what's your the relationship between the alliance and, and these employers? Just to be perfectly blunt here, if the if the amount mm-hmm. of money involved in the project is too low for being signed to a union contract to make sense, that's fine with us as a union. I think all of the other mm-hmm. things that and Matt and Lizette talked about in terms of services and advice and building community is fine with small projects. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say that um, also because this is something that I ha- I was curious about because I have a small production company and I hire writer or not not writers at this point but hire uh actors and sound designers and have contracts for them um uh, i was curious of like how does how does a smaller kind of business uh handle something like this and it was pretty clear once i kind of got an understanding that um the union contracts are are for things to make sure that that because you you have to have a certain limit to like be able to put funds towards a pension or or healthcare, right? Um, and it doesn't make sense if you know if if you don't even hit those kind of minimums to be able to pay into that. Um, so I think it really is a matter of educating, probably not just the writers themselves, but also for producers, um, and especially because a lot of uh, audio drama writers and indie writers are also producers, like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and <laughs> so these types of things are really helpful because that's something I'm also thinking about too is in any future projects that I might want to hire a writer towards that I can think of like, okay, well, what is my limit? I, I mean, I would love to be able to get a budget where I can pay union rates um, for my actors and my sound designer and my and my writers. Um, uh, but being able to have a resource like the WGA to be able to kind of bounce that idea off of or like get a sense of like how much will I have to either crowdfund or source from sponsors or whatever to be able to make those rates. Um, that's something that's kind of important for me too, um, on my end. And I think that's, uh, the, the point is for, for again, this financial literacy, this, this, this education bit of what it actually means to, to work with the WGA. Um, uh, and I think that's something that, um, should also be communicated to the writers to that they, you know, whether or not they should be demanding union, union, a union contract for, uh, for a production company that like spends like $5,000 on their show per season. <laughs> um, I think that's something that's like yeah, expectations need to be made. And I think that's part of the yes. professionalization of these conversations too. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And then just to say it like one way, the way that actually I've one way to kind of think about it, um, at least is the way I have from my perspective, is that if, however, you are working on either as a producer of or a writer of higher budget productions, and it is conceivable for you to be able to you know make your year either from working on that production or a combination of that production and maybe some television work or feature work or other things that you're doing, the Writers Guild contract gives you that ability to be able to qualify for health insurance and pension if you are going to make your year and either through that one sole production or through these other things. And that's when something like this becomes um, relevant to you and is basically what the WGAE is is essentially offering. And also from the perspective of producers and other things like that, if you want health insurance, if you want your writers, if you are working on a high budget project, either as a producer or you are one of these like bigger third party producers and you want your writers to be covered by health insurance because this is America and it's a, apparently just like a, a free for all, you know, hunger yeah. game situation out there and, and health insurance is not a right, but you yourself are somebody Laugh with a yeah. <laughs> This is, this is just an easy way. And, but you, you, rather than having to set up a health insurance program yourself for your writers, this is the way to do it. This is the way the American system works is that you can very easily, uh, I believe it's 20% of your budget. Is that right? Lowell? yeah, um, that goes yeah, but, to, mm-hmm. Yep. About 20, a contribution of about 20% of the writing budget goes to the WGA to, and that would cover the, the health and pension and various other, you know, uh, benefits that come with being a writer's school. Yeah. And, and we do cover indie projects. The company that created, uh, Limetown is an indie. It's an indie, mm-hmm. yep. uh, shipworm. Yep. Uh, we just signed their most recent project. That company is, is Writers Guild. So Zach and Skip will get, you know, pension and health benefits from that. Uh, obviously, everybody would rather have a bigger budget, right? Um, yeah. There's, there's, there, there's no shame in, in being able to to bring in more money and and fund right. things. So, uh, but you know, our goal isn't to squeeze out low budget productions. If that's if that's where that production is, that's fine. But if you can raise the money uh, through 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 whatever, through prior projects, through uh, investors, through uh, management companies that want to, you know develop content through the audibles and spotify's of the world however you can do it um you know we can we can ensure that your writers are getting maximum value for for doing that work uh, or you if you're a writer yourself we have plenty of writer owned companies that are signatory uh to, to our other agreements so um yeah it's it's all doable and in the it, i i like the word professionalization in the long run mm-hmm. it it is in the industry's interest to make it possible for writers to, to build careers and sustain careers doing this work. It's, it's, um, it's exhausting to have a full-time job and write podcasts, yeah. right? <laughs> so it'd be, yeah. pretty, yeah. be pretty cool to raise standards, which is a, also a central right. component. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I've just got one last question here. Um, and it's one to help shake shake off a little bit of, of fun here. What fiction <laughs> podcasts have you been listening to and loving lately and you want to recommend to our audience? Ooh. Uh, this will be easy for me because I, in order to prepare for this uh, interview, I listened to Lizette, your episode of this <laughs> show and then started listening to your show. Uh, the, uh, oh no, the magical- Kalima Stormfire's oh, Economical Sur- Magic Services. I know. And I, and I love it. No, and I think it's great. For one, I had no, I was super excited to listen to your episode of this show and then learn all about uh, witchcraft, yeah. which was fantastic. And then those themes carry through so much in your show, which is so cool. 
cool. And I'm like, oh man, I've never heard a show that's just like very seriously about witchcraft and like the, the process of doing it and all that stuff. And I've been really loving thank, your show. Well, thank you. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, um, uh, oh my God. So uh, I, I, I want to shout out uh, a show that's, um, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's a very low, it's a single narrator. And this is one of the things that I still have, my heart is with a lot of single narrator shows. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's this wonderful show that's, um, uh, that just started, I guess the second season or like the second half of the first season or something like that, um, called the Anansi Chronicles, which is this fascinating vampire slash West African, uh, folktale slash story of, um, enslaved peoples coming from West Africa into the U.S., and um, uh, essentially almost like a, a pseudo historical documentary. Um, uh, absolutely love it. The, the, the um, creator, the writer, creator and uh, voice actor for it has such a strong voice. Um, I really recommend it. And uh, it's just what it's again, one of those stories that like it kind of I didn't realize, and I think a lot of single narrator shows can do this. It just sucks you into the story immediately just with this one very strong voice. It's one of my favorite types of, uh, of writing within audio drama lately. Um, but yeah, you can, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts, the Anansi Chronicles. <laughs> Cosigns. Yes. Uh, I'll do one more also just to say uh, the just <laughs> not just mentioning people on this very show. Uh, I really I just listened to Evil Eye, which was on an Audible show, which I really liked. I thought was really great. Um, just to to throw that out too. And then uh, uh, it's uh, it's basically it's it's a, a, a young uh, Indian woman. It's like phone calls between an Indian woman and her mother, or an Indian American woman and her Indian parents who are back in India. And she is basically starting to. I don't want to give too much away but like fall in love with uh, a potential husband and there's kind of like a mystery sort of spooky sort of through line but it's very much about her relationship with her mother and a lot of it is about like Indian heritage and superstition stuff I actually think you would really yeah. love it for the amount of like horoscope superstitious yeah, stuff no, that's in no, it sounds uh, good. but yeah 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 it's cool wonderful okay so if there is anything else you would like to tell our audience that we did not cover before Yes, yeah. I have a I have a few things. I have some official things. This is for and I have to give a, a shout out to to for to Ani who yes. has been uh, our WGA East yes. uh, Ani Quigley who's been our representative who's been doing an incredible job corralling uh, helping us <laughs> corralling all of us. <laughs> the fact that the, I mean the WGAE has been putting a lot of resources into this, which is really cool and makes me very proud as a member, uh, as a dues shirking member <laughs> to to be a part of this. Uh, and Ani in particular has just been such an incredible resource uh, and. But through her guidance, uh, we have a bunch of things that we've been pulling together uh, to uh, to kind of announce. So one, yeah, this is the Audio Alliance, which is brand new. Uh, if you go to or if you want to find out more about what we're up to, we're kind of coalescing around a Twitter handle. That was the social media service that we could all agree on wasn't the most evil. Uh, so uh, at WGA Audio, uh, you can find us uh, there. Um, but also you can go to the WGAEast.org uh, and there will be uh, a link 
directing you to our website, which kind of is starting to pull together all of our resources. We also have an event coming up, which I really hope people go to, to kind of to check out what we're all about. And also this is kind of our first big resource that we're putting out into the world. We're going to be having an art of audio fiction panel, which is sort of just like a basic, here's what's going on with writing and audio fiction. It's Monday, October 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern. It'll be a Zoom or some other video conference affair. Uh, and it's going to be awesome. It'll be about writing for audio fiction, what brought people to those mediums. We're going to have people from kind of different mediums. So we've got uh, Dania Ramos, who comes from playwriting, is going to be speaking to her experience. Megan Fitzmartin, who works in television, coming from her experience. And Lauren Shippen uh, will also be speaking to her experience kind of from the indie community as well as a producer. Uh, and the whole thing is going to be moderated by uh, Gabrielle Urbina. Uh, the whole thing, I think, is going to be awesome. And there'll be some breakout panels afterwards uh, to talk to, to sort of mingle and to talk to other people and then where there'll be people like me spewing pro WGA audio alliance <laughs> propaganda. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but yeah, but in general, we have a survey up. That was kind of like the entry point for a lot of people. It's still on the WGA website. And if you follow that, I think that would be, if you participate in that survey, that would be a great funnel into this. Uh, however, you can always email uh, Annie Quigley, a Quigley at wjeast.org. She said I could put her email out there. So, well, I guess I can yep. do that. But well, if you want to contact Annie, she's a great first point of contact to get into this group and to talk to people about what your experiences might be and what you're up to. And if you have a contract, if you've been contacted by an entity of any kind and you would like to talk to other people <laughs> who have shared a similar experience, uh, we are here for you. And Annie Quigley will be the, the person who she will believe you. She will accept whatever you tell her. You, it is a non a judgment-free zone and no matter what they did to you she will be there to help you through context it. of the third uh, fourth fifth 25th kind yes whatever yep. kind whatever kind it is yeah we'll provide the link to the survey in the episode description so if you're looking for that it will be down there and then the audio writer database, which is what I mentioned before, which is a database of all of the writers that uh, that are working on this, uh, which has been put together by Drew Johnston, who is a W, who is a council member at the WGA East, who's also been helping very much put this whole thing together. He and I uh, go way back in the New York comedy community, and he was the first person that I started. He put together kind of like the West Coast, the East Coast version of this. Well, I was doing I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to name everybody in this group, but everybody <laughs> is a high quality and an incredible person. And if you join the alliance, you'll get to meet them all. Uh, and see them in little boxes on Zoom calls a million times, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to RDR and discussing uh, the Audio Alliance with me. I'm really excited for um, it's taking off, all of the events you're going to be putting on, and I think our audience will be too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you thank so you. much for having us. This has been a real pleasure. I hope this interview has given you some food for thought. If you'd like to learn more about the WGA Audio Alliance, you can check out their Twitter over at WGA Audio or go straight to their website at wgaeast.org slash WGA Audio. If you're a fiction podcast writer, fill out the survey and join the database. The link will be in our episode description. The power of the Audio Alliance and the WGA is stronger as a collective, which means they can do things like raise minimums and improve bargaining agreements in the future. We run Radio Drama Revival on Prayers and Elmer's Glue. If you'd like to help keep us afloat and featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, as well as important news and resources for them, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. 
Other than Patreon, you can also support Radio Drama Revival by buying merch at our shop at radiodramarevival.com shop. If you wear the RDR t-shirt at an Audio Alliance general meeting, I'll shout you out on Twitter. This episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, the Klutskani Indian tribe, the Kaulitz Indian tribe, and the Athfaladi tribe. Colonizers named this place Beaverton, Oregon. If you are seeking ways in which to donate to Native communities, the Aniwa Gathering of Elders and the Boa Foundation are raising community relief funds for six reservations, Oglala Lakota, Hopi, Lanape Ramapo, Apache, Tine Navajo, and Toono Odham communities. You can donate at www.gofundme.com f support indigenous communities in USA. The link will be in our episode description. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kylo Kaz. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams. Our senior interviews producer is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our social media manager is Ann Baird. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhouch and David Reinstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. <laughs>